This is a Saddleback Church podcast. We're in week number three of a message series called Worthy of It All. And I've loved this series. It's been one of my favorite series for us uh, since Stacy and I have come. Most importantly, because God's doing something in our church through this series. He's shaping and shifting our hearts and culture and moving in a powerful way. And uh, today, as we continue this series, I want to begin. I was reading a, a book recently called The Great Dechurching. And what the author was talking about in the book, he was looking at the patterns of the church in North America. And what he noticed is that over the last few decades, through research, what they see is that there was a decline in the American church. The number of people and the percentage of society that attends church is going down. Now, this is also true in Europe, where the church is on the decline. This is not true in Asia, South America, or Africa, but it is true in North America, United States, and it's also true in Europe. And the author was kind of unpacking, what are the patterns? What are the reasons why? Now there's another guy, took that book, wrote an article on it, it was kind of a Cliff Notes version, and I like that too. So I got through first 80 pages of the book, and then I read the article, and I was like, okay, that's great. Synthesized <laughs> it for me. I have the world's record for numbers of books started, not finished. But this article was written in the Atlantic this summer, and the writer of the article, as he was taking that book, was talking about this very important idea. And what he said is that the reason, based on research, that most people are leaving the church is not because we are asking too much of them. It's because we're not giving them a vision that's big enough for their lives. We're not calling them to something greater. And this is why I believe God's moving so powerfully through this message series in our church and in our lives because it's really a call to more. It's a vision for more that God has given to your life, that there's more that God is doing in you and wants to do through you. And at the core of this whole series is this message. I was made by God for worship. You were made by the creator with this longing inside of you to pour out your life. And we pour out our lives on our jobs, on relationships, on our hobbies. We're constantly pouring out our lives and it's evidence to us that we were made by God, by our creator to worship, to ascribe value and worth. But what we've been saying is there's nothing, there's no one who is worthy of your worship. No one aside from Jesus, from God, is worthy of your life. And from a biblical standpoint, from what the Bible teaches, Worship is my response to the living God. So when I see God for who he is and what he's truly like, his justice, his love, his power, his truth, his glory, when I see him in his holiness for who he is, my response is worship. This is Isaiah in Isaiah 6 in the Old Testament. When he sees God on his throne, he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. He was moved. And all throughout the Bible, there are all these moments of people that had these responses to the living God. Worship is a response to God, and it includes every aspect of my life. And my belief is the more we encounter God, it's gonna lead us into this lifestyle of worship. So we've been breaking it down, and we said in the first week that worship is surrender. So it starts with us crawling back. The Bible used the image of an altar. And the Apostle Paul says that we are to offer our bodies, our lives, as a living sacrifice. So there's this crawling back up on the altar, surrendering our life to God, that worship starts with surrender. It moves to, last week we talked about singing. 
So we sing with our voices, and I could hear today, I could hear in the room that I'm in, you could hear this, this joy and passion in the singing. So when we use our mouth to praise God and we sing, it's a part of our worship. Now today, I wanna emphasize a very important aspect of worship. It's the aspect of serving. Today what I wanna do is cast a vision for you that God has made you and designed you, he's called you to give your life in service. That when you serve with your life, you're fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Now Ephesians chapter two, the Apostle Paul writes, and I want you to see these words, these come from a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, and this is really a foundation concept around worship and around serving God. He begins by saying, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. So this is the fundamental difference between the message of Jesus in every world religion, that Jesus at his core taught a message that God came from heaven to earth to us, where religion often teaches what we can do to ascend to God. So religion is about what we can do, but the message of Jesus is about what he has done. So his death on a cross, his payment for the sins of the world, his resurrection from the dead, that all who would come to him can be forgiven by faith in him. That's what Paul is saying. It's not what you do, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that no one can boast about it. And it's gonna transition, so he's teaching on salvation and then he's gonna move from salvation to serving. And then he says this, for we are God's masterpiece. So that means that God, in his mercy and grace, changes the human heart. He changes a life, and you've seen this before, where you've watched somebody's life be transformed by the grace of God, and when you see it transformed by the grace of God, you're like, only God could have changed that guy. Only God could have done that. So we are God's masterpiece. Someone once said it's a trophy of grace that God wants to show what he can do in a person's life. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus. So the old is gone, the new has come. And he did this so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So in his, in his working, what God does is he changes us, and here's the line I want you to write down. I am not saved by serving, I'm saved for serving. And this is important. Paul is teaching you're not saved through good deeds, but you are saved for good deeds. Another way of saying this might be that salvation is God's gift to me, service is my gift back to him. So when I see him for who he is, what he's done in my life, serving is the natural overflow back for what he's done. And so we wanna encourage today, the vision, the vision that we wanna lift up today is a vision for serving. And what I'd like to do is I wanna journey through three categories. I wanna focus on the what of serving, I wanna focus on the why of serving, and I wanna focus on the how of serving. So the what, the why, and the how. And I wanna begin with this first idea, God gives me a call to serve. So God places on our lives a call to serve. And I wanna anchor it in a beautiful passage of scripture found in Matthew chapter 20, we're gonna spend a few moments here. I find this to be a very comical passage of scripture. You know, sometimes when you're watching Jesus interact with people, you can kinda get the feel of the story. This is one of those. In Matthew chapter 20, 
verse 20. It says, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. Now, I think this passage of scripture, as mom comes to Jesus with the request, I think James and John put mom up to this. Like, anybody ever asked your mom to do something? You're like, mom, I got a D. Can you talk to my math teacher? Like, I want it to be an A. And so I believe James and John put their mom up to this. I don't have really evidence in the Bible, but that's just the way I read it. And it says, they came to Jesus, and she came with her son. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What's your request, Jesus asked. And she replied, in your kingdom. Now, I want you to circle that word that says kingdom. In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the places of honor, one next to you on your right and the other next to you on your left. Now they're asking for position or prominence in the kingdom of God. But at this point they're confused. Like they think that Jesus is building a physical kingdom. They're still confused thinking that Jesus has come to overthrow the Roman government and set up this new empire. But Jesus was not coming to build a physical kingdom. Jesus was coming to build a spiritual kingdom. So God has a special place in his heart for Israel. God, God from the beginning would choose Israel as a holy nation set apart that he would bless so that they could become a blessing to the entire world. But God's plan did not stop with Israel. God was building an eternal kingdom of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So they're asking to have power and prominence in the kingdom that Jesus is going to build, but they're confused. Now Jesus looks back at mom and says, you don't know what you're asking. Like you don't understand what you're requesting. And then he's going to give her the, the image of how the kingdom of God moves forward. And he says this, are you able, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Speaking of his death on a cross, are you able to suffer? The kingdom of God is moved forward with men and women who are willing to sacrifice, willing to endure pain and hardship for the sake of his kingdom. Are you willing to do that? Now, they think they are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. We're able. Yeah, we're, we're fine. They don't know what they're saying they're going to do. They don't understand the, the, the significance of what Jesus is speaking about, that he's going to go to a cross for the sins of the world. And then Jesus replied, well, yeah, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right and left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Now, the other 10 heard about this, 12 disciples, not really happy about it. Like, so the other 10 disciples, it says when they heard what James and John had asked, they were, they were hacked. They were indignant. They were frustrated. Now, it took them a long time to get it. Like, just like us, they, they got confused about what was most important. And Jesus is going to set straight the record. Jesus is going to give a new vision for our lives. Jesus is going to establish a new kind of a kingdom. He's gonna establish a different empire. And what he says, not... He says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. 
So maybe you've been in a place of work or you've seen in a government somewhere or you've, you've noticed a leader that oppressed and pushed down those around them. But Jesus says that in the world what you notice, leaders that, that they push down those under them, he says there's a different kind of kingdom and I want you to underline this phrase. He says, but among you it will be different. So in my kingdom there's a different value system. Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must become your servant. Now, Jesus did not have the servant leadership book. It had not been written at that point. What Jesus is doing is he is he's establishing a new way to lead, a new way to live, a new way to think. Not so with you. In my kingdom, whoever wants to be great will be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave, for even the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus would say, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That's why this weekend, I'm so grateful for those who have served in the armed forces here in the United States of America and really all over the world that are willing to pay the highest price for one's freedom. They're following the example of the one who would give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, this is my kingdom. This is service in my kingdom. It's a different kind of life. And what Jesus is doing is he's taking this whole old value system and he's literally flipping it upside down. He's giving us a new way to see the world. And it's a call. It's a call to lay down my rights and my agenda. So when I step into relationship with God, when I step into the kingdom of God, when I pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, I'm laying down my agenda. And we all got our own agenda. We got things we wanna do and we've got goals and plans, but my goals and plans have to submit to God's goals and plans. So the call to serve is a call to, to lay down my right. Sometimes when it comes to maturity, we can think that knowledge is maturity. Information is maturity. But what Jesus is saying is actually maturity in my kingdom is service. It looks like somebody that rolls up their sleeves and put the towel on their hands and they serve. They lay down their agenda. They also, in this call, it's a call to lay down my need for recognition. So it's a call to say, there's one name in this kingdom that we want on the lips of people. And that's not the name Saddleback. It's not the name of any human leader. In the kingdom, the name that we want on every lip is the name of Jesus. He's the one. He's the one that's seated on the throne of heaven. He's the one that's crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the one who's worthy of service and worship. So in the kingdom of God, there's this need for recognition that we let go of and we say, I'm letting go of my need to be recognized. And then finally, it's a call to represent God through serving. So it's a call to let go of my agenda, it's a call to let go of my need for recognition, and it's a call to literally say, I now am becoming a representative of God when I serve. This last week I was at a stoplight. I was the first car in the stoplight. And uh, I was there 
I was on my way to like this long meeting throughout the day and I was lamenting the fact that I had to go into this meeting as I'm like getting ready to go to this meeting, I'm thinking about the fact that I haven't started working on my sermon. I know that I'm preaching on service. I'm trying to think about what passage of the Bible I'm gonna preach from and I'm like going back and forth in my mind and my head's down and I look up and there's another car that's at the stoplight and I see this guy get up out of the car and he goes in front of me while I'm at the stoplight and I look out there and there's another guy, a construction worker, who's dragging a piece of plywood across in front of my car. So this other guy who gets out of his car walks over to the edge of that piece of plywood and they literally take it, drag it to the side of the road, drop it down, put it on the side, the guy goes back, gets in his car, says bye, moves along. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this whole scene unfold, here I am sitting in a car thinking about a message or a sermon on serving, and here is this guy right next to me actually doing the very thing that I'm talking about. And the thought occurred to me, if Jesus were here, what Jesus would do is exactly what that man did. He would get out of the car and he would serve. Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Notice these words that say, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way, let your good deeds shine before men for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. So I don't know if that guy at the, at the stoplight is a follower of Jesus, but certainly in that one act, he was representing the kind of life that we're invited into. Every time you serve a cup of hot water to somebody who's in need, every time you give a meal to someone who is struggling, every time you serve, if you do it in the name of Jesus, for the good of others, you're representing God in a way that is letting light shine to see the goodness of God. Now, it's important because Jesus actually contradicts, or not contradicts, um, contrasts this concept in Matthew chapter seven with serving in secret. And you might read it and think, well, Jesus is confused. No, he's not confused. There's a kind of service that sometimes people do that they've got their I'm a humble servant t-shirt on. Look at me, watch me, I'm doing this service. And then there's a kind of service that is just in humility serving and those around us see. This is what thousands of you did during COVID. When you went to peace centers and you served groceries to our communities and fed Orange County and made a difference in people's lives practically with your hands. You were serving in a way that people are looking and seeing with your life the goodness and the kindness of God. It's literally a fundamental identity shift. So at the core of being a follower of Jesus is a new identity. First Peter, chapter two, Peter talks about this identity, and he says this, he says, but you are not like the world. You are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Now what Peter is doing is he's taking two ideas and he's taking the concept of royalty in the kingdom of God, and he's contrasting that concept of royalty with the concept of a priesthood. And he's, he's saying, 
if you're in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have now this identity of priesthood, which means that you're a representative of God. In the Old Testament, the, the priest had access to God in a way that other people didn't. But now in the New Testament, because of what Jesus did, God calls his followers priests. So you have direct access to God and direct representation of God to the world around you. Martin Luther was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And the reason he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church was two things. You might know the one where he, he was excommunicated because of his teaching of by grace through faith, we have a relationship with God. But there was another teaching that was just as challenging to the church, and it was the teaching of the priesthood of the believer. And it was this belief that every member is a minister. So every person who follows Jesus, just like a priest has an assignment and direct access to God. So you don't have to go to a priest anymore to pray to God. You directly can go to him and you can directly represent him. This is the call to service. It's a vision for our lives that's a big vision. And I want you to hear this. Some will be called the vocational ministry, but all are called to a life of service. This is the what. Now the what with that call leads to the why. God has given us a what, but God also gives us a why. And with the second part, God gives us a reason to serve in addition to a call to serve. So that reason is very important. It's not just the what, but it's also the why. The why matters because if we don't have a, a big enough reason to, to serve with our lives, it will very quickly become duty. It'll be a thing that we have to do. I gotta serve God, I gotta do, I gotta, 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 gotta. And it's not a got to, it's a get to. And God wants this service of, in our lives to be in the category of something I get to do. So when I was growing up in high school, I had to wash the dishes. My parents made me wash the dishes. I hated it, I hated it. Anybody else growing up, your parents made you wash the dishes. And now that I'm a dad, I make my kids wash dishes. <laughs> and I don't feel guilt for it. But I also, I also now love to wash dishes myself. Now the reason I love to wash dishes is because my, my wife loves for me to wash dishes. <laughs> so because she loves for me to do it, I love to do it. And it's something that I do now out of delight, not out of duty. See, it changes when there's a reason to serve. Paul says in Colossians chapter three, he says, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. So what Paul is saying, he's speaking to a group of people who in their culture, they were servants. There was no way out of this place of service. And this is important because they were chained to a circumstance. These bond servants could be a servant as a slave or they could also be a servant to pay back a debt, but they were in a circumstance that they could not get out of. But what Paul is communicating is that sometimes in your life you are chained to a circumstance, circumstance, but you are never chained to a perspective. You can be in a situation that you can't change, but you can always change the way that you see the situation or circumstance. So bond servants, he says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers. And isn't it interesting, one more thought on this, um, isn't it interesting how sometimes our behavior shifts, like when the boss is in the room? I remember growing up, my dad was a business owner. My dad was the boss. So I'd be out on a job, and I would notice when my dad would show up in his truck, everybody would start working more diligently. And maybe you've had this happen before you're at work, you're, you know, you kind of type in, then you get into your social media and check in Facebook, and your boss shows up, and your behavior changes. Anybody? I don't know. It's real quiet in here. But sometimes when, when there's a physical boss present, our behavior changes, and what Paul is saying, there's another way, there's, there's somebody whose eyes are on us, and these eyes that see us, the gracious eyes of our Heavenly Father as he's looking, we should serve not for our human masters, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. For whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men or not for people, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever I do when I'm serving, I can do it unto God. And when I do it unto God, now all of a sudden, it takes on new meaning and significance. And it's so important for me to connect the why to the what. So every time I serve, I'm serving, if I'm serving unto God, it becomes an act of worship that God sees that is this aroma that is pleasing to him with my life. I can serve unto God in response for what he's done to, to, for me. And the little things in my life can take on new significance and meaning, like Mike Ayala from our Santa Rosa campus. Mike started serving on Sunday mornings in the Philippines there, and he would put out chairs one by one. He'd show up at 5.30, 6 a.m., put out these chairs, and Mike was working in a call center at the time, and he said that when he started serving on the weekends at Saddleback, as he was putting out chairs, there was all of a sudden this new meaning and significance that he was experiencing, because these chairs he was putting out as he would put out a chair, he'd see somebody come and sit in that chair and they would be changed by the grace of God and he would watch God use directly his service for people's lives to be changed. Now his wife, Tinai, would say at first, well, why are we going to one service and serving at another? Let's just go to one. We've got busy lives. But Mike said, no, my life's taking on new significance. Why don't you just try it with me? So Tinai started serving with Mike, her husband, and as they started serving together, and their kids started serving with them, she said that on Monday morning when she would wake up, she would be looking forward all week to next weekend when she could serve at church. Now God continued to bless their service and the leader of the campus, Matt Hall, was there with his wife, Natalie. He had moved from Orange County over there to be the campus pastor for a season and he started noticing in Mike and Tanai this, this call that God was placing onto their lives. He invited them to come onto staff, and as they were serving there on staff, Mike had his eye on them, knowing that at some point he'd move back to the States and appoint a new campus pastor. And as a result of seeing the faithfulness in the small things, Mike appointed, or, or excuse me, Matt appointed Mike as the campus pastor, and he became the campus pastor. I want you to see this picture of Mike Ayala at the Santa Rosa campus, who is now the campus pastor, and it all, started with chairs. It all started with small things that he was doing unto God. Now, I, I, I'm not saying every time you put out a chair, God's gonna call you to vocational ministry, 
Somebody said, I'm not gonna do chairs. I like my job. But here's, here's what I want you to hear. I can serve God anywhere and everywhere. I can serve God anywhere and everywhere. And there are all these different places and facets of our lives where we can serve as worship unto God. I can serve God in my home, so at the end of a hard day, I can come home from work, but I can still be a servant in my home. I can serve God at my work, so I can go to work and I can make emails serving. I can make a meeting, a service unto God. I can serve at my place of work. And this is important because sometimes we have this warped view of work that we think, based on what the Bible teaches in Genesis, with the curse that God placed on work, that maybe work is somehow cursed. Well, I, I want us to see that really God put work into place before the fall. So work is a gift from God and your workstation can become your worship station. So when you go to work, you can find meaning and significance. You can work where you play. And somebody just said, oh, pickleball now can be worship. And there, there is new meaning in your hobby that when you do it unto God, it can be worship. I, I've gotten a little bit of criticism lately because I talk about cats and dogs. So I just want to throw something out there for your cat lovers in the room. Um, you can make petting your cat worship. You can. It'd be wonderful and bless it. You can also make, you can make serving through church a form of worship. All of it can be a part of your worship. And all these categories, when I do it for God, and when I do it, secondly, from love, it becomes worship. So I do it from this place in my heart of love, and it takes on new meaning and significance. And I love this quote from Mother Teresa. What Mother Teresa says is, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Not all of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. And there are the little things that we do, sometimes we write off. We say, well, this is insignificant. And I would say to you, none of it is insignificant to God when it's done unto him from love. I love this story. In the 1930s, there were these two boys that kind of came into this tent revival. And at this tent revival, it was packed out to the brim. There were no seats in the room. And there was this one man that was serving as an usher. So he's walking through the room trying to find seats and he would help people move aside and he found two seats for these two teenage boys. And you might look at what this guy did and say, well, it's a small, insignificant act. But that night, these two teenage boys that found their way into the tent in North Carolina in the 1930s, they sat down, they listened to a man preach that night, and at the end of the message, these two teenage boys came up to the front, made a decision to fully surrender their heart to God, and one of them, you know his name, his name is Billy Graham. And based on one man's service, putting out a chair, moving people for two seats to be found, one man was a part of the lineage. He was a link in the chain of millions and millions of people being changed by the grace of God. Don't tell me small things are insignificant. In our church, we have so many different roles. We have some people that wave when folks come onto the parking lot. We've got some that get the privilege of serving in the nursery and wiping those dirty bottoms while adults are sitting in the service listening to messages, hopefully. And we've got some that are serving with students 
and some that are opening their home for small groups, and we've got some that are investing in the next generation with kids, and there are all these different roles, and every one of them matters to God. Every one of them is a link in the chain. So last week, when there are several hundred people that are going public with their faith in Jesus, every one of those baptisms of people whose lives are being changed by the grace of God, each person who serves, this is an encouragement to you if you serve in any form or fashion here at Saddleback, you are a link in the chain of somebody's life being changed for all eternity when you do it unto God and you do it from a place of love. And that vision, when we have it, it gets in our hearts It motivates us, it changes us. And I wanna encourage you, God has given you a call to serve, and God has given you a reason to serve. But finally, I wanna leave you with this, God gives you and gives me a way to serve. And this is where the how comes about. That there's a way forward to use my life and my gifts to make a difference in God's kingdom and in God's world. He gives me a way to serve. And the first way he gives me to serve is with my design. So you are designed by God. He gave you a design that he wants to use your life, your shape, your gifts to make a difference. I want you to think about it like this. Some of us in the room, we're extroverts. We like to talk. And we should never be in those roles where our talking is a disadvantage. I think about those that are in the booth and they serve and they make sure The lights come on at the right time and the words come on the screen for the songs. If I was in the booth, if I were there pressing buttons, somebody'd walk by and I'd be like, hey, how are you? So good to see you this morning. And there'd be people in the room looking, words don't match the song. It never would be good for me to serve in that role. And there are some that you prefer to be behind a computer or you like to be in quiet and you like to do things that nobody sees. There are some that would never want to be recognized for their gifts and they, they, they want to serve in the background. There are some that love to have people in their home and they have the gift of hospitality. And some that have bold faith, this kind of gift of faith, some with gifts of generosity. All these gifts are given from God. First Corinthians 12, seven says the spirit of God has given each of us a special way of serving others. So what God does is he puts that gift inside of you. And there are things that you love that other people hate. And there are things that you hate that other people love. I said to Joy on our staff who works in support and helps us, we, we have these meetings where we go through all these administrative decisions and I said one time, I would rather sit in a dentist chair without Novocaine and have my teeth pulled than do administration. I would. And some of you love it. You're like, you, you love spreadsheets and emails and all the stuff, and that's great. That's from God. God designed us differently and to lean in. Here's what I want you to hear. Just get started. Because what happens is as we get started, you, you're not gonna get stuck in a role for the rest of your life. You can start somewhere with your gifts and God will shift and shape and move you as you go forward to find that right spot. Now, there are some of you You've been serving for decades at Saddleback Church. And I wanna say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for pouring out your life. This is a church where people contribute and have done so over and over and over again. This is a church where the pastors aren't the ones doing all the work, it's all of us together building God's church. And I'm so grateful to step into that kind of a legacy. And at the same time, there are some of you that are listening to my voice, and today is the invitation. 
Some of you, you, you've been coming to church for a while and you've been listening to these messages and today is this invitation from God to step into the game to let him use your gifts to make a difference. We need you at Saddleback. We need what God has placed inside of you to build the vision God has for our church. Now, I wanna just share a quick little snippet of where I believe God is leading us because I think for some of us it will inspire us to take steps to get engaged at a higher level. I pray often that God will give me verses from the Bible for our church to shape how we're thinking. And one of these verses, it's very common, but I feel like God is speaking this to me and to our staff and to our leaders and our church as a whole. And these verses from Ephesians chapter four, it says this, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. In every way, we'll become more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, that first part, I want you to see. Come back to it for just a moment. It says, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind. Anybody know somebody in your life that it seems like they're blown about and tossed by every wind? Anybody ever feel like that yourself? So much coming at you, so many pieces of news, it's hard to know what to believe. That so often in our culture and in our churches, we're not anchored. So when our world is in chaos, and right now it is, and we're moving into an election year in 2024, and we're in a place where there's a war between Israel and Hamas, and we don't know where it's gonna go, and there's all this chaos in the world. What does the world need right now? The world needs from the church. The world needs from believers who follow Jesus. It needs people who are anchored in truth with love. As Paul says, we won't be blown around, but we will live the truth in love. So I believe God is calling our church in this next season. God is saying to us something that we've heard before, that if we build great people, God will build the church. Great people, God builds, as we build great people, God builds a great church out of that. And so for the next year, we're gonna say, what does it look like to go back and, and build great people who understand what it means to, to live their lives unto God, but in particular, people who are anchored in the truth of God's word. So people who read the Bible, when the world around us is twisting and turning, we don't need more Christians who post on social media angry, frustrated thoughts. We need more followers of Jesus that are going back to the book, the authority, the thing that is the eternal word of God that leads and guides our life we, we need more of that. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna challenge the whole church to read the Bible together. So in 2024, we're gonna launch the year. We're gonna do this Bible reading initiative, and we're gonna challenge in the first eight weeks of the year to read through the New Testament and to, as a church, read the Bible. Could you imagine next year what would happen in our church if the whole church were anchored in God's word? The, the difference that it would make. Now, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to read the Bible. You can read the Bible if you're just getting started, if you're just kind of coming for the first time. So this is gonna be a challenge for everyone, no matter where they are in their journey of faith, 
and we're gonna believe that God will, through this, strengthen his church. But as we're praying through this, and we're talking about it through the banner of the anchored life, so that's what we're gonna roll out in 2024, started thinking through and saying, okay, what if, as we're challenging the whole church to read the Bible, what if in addition to that, we could encourage the communities around our campuses to read the Bible with us? So we had this idea, and I believe it's from God, this idea that what if next year we could engage one million people in reading the Bible around our campuses? What if we could give away a million Bibles in 2024? Could you imagine the power of that? If, if one million people, what would happen in the campuses, around communities, around our campuses, and the limitless Potential. Now, as we're doing this, started wrestling through the question, okay, well, if we read the Bible, but we don't understand the heart of God and prayer and, and really pray at the same time, um, we'll, we'll be adrift. And so what if we invited the whole church to pray? And we started thinking through, okay, if every person committed to pray for seven minutes a day, that would be 49 minutes a week. That would be 33 hours a year. If we all did that, we collectively as a church would pray for one million hours as a church. So we're gonna, we're gonna challenge and call Saddleback as a family together to engage in the Bible and read and then to give away a million Bibles and to pray for a million hours collectively as a church. Could you imagine what God could do through our lives? Now all of this is gonna be under a banner we're gonna kind of roll out in the coming weeks. Um, every year at the end of the year, we do an offering at Thanksgiving and at Christmas that's kind of this above and beyond overflow of what God's done in our life. So this year, we're gonna call it the overflow offering. We'll be unpacking it more, but one of the initiatives that will be connected to this overflow offering is this big Bible project that we're gonna do. And you can find out more about that as you're taking next steps on the digital program. But today, I'm just so excited to share that vision with you because I believe God's gonna use it to change your life. I believe God's gonna use it to change our church. And what historians are saying, I, wanna, I want you to hear this as we conclude. Historians are saying that the church in North America and in Europe is in irreversible decline. But I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that the God who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I refuse to believe that some historian has more wisdom than the God of the universe that promises to build his church. And there's a call on our lives, and this is the final one that I wanna finish with. This way that we serve is a call to completion. So it's a call to serve all the way to the finish line that God has for our lives. You may know the verse, Philippians 112, Paul is speaking, and he says this, I'm confident of the one who began a good work inside of you will carry that good work on to completion. And sometimes in our life we have a mission, but then we get disconnected. And we forget that there's a completion that God is inviting us to. The spirit of the living God is at work inside of you and he has a mission for your life. He has a call for your life. I want you to listen to me. Beyond the distraction, beyond what is kind of consuming our minds and taking us, God wants to speak to you today. There is a call to complete the work that God has given to you. And Jesus would say in John 17, 
chapter 17, verse 4, he would say, I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. There's a completion that God is inviting us into. And there are different generations and groups of people and different gifts in our church. And I wanna speak for just a moment. There are some of you in your 60s and 70s and 80s, and you're watching this church change, and you're like, oh man, they're getting younger, they got a guy with a big beard on stage, that pastor, he kinda, I think he's young, and the church is changing, and there's no more place for me, and I would say to you, from the bottom of my heart, you have never been more wanted and needed in this church than you are right now. There's a generation of wisdom, there's a generation of experience, we need your stories, we need your prayers, we need your blessing on future generations. We're doing something called this intergenerational prayer where we've got different generations coming together, parents and grandparents, and there are some teenagers that have never had a parent or a grandparent pray over them and bless them. And you are needed and wanted some of you, you stepped at the sidelines during this season. You were once engaged. I had a man come to me after service last week or last night and say, uh, I, I served in the 80s and 90s, but now I'm, I'm sensing that fresh calling back and I'm gonna get back into the game. If that's you, there's a call on your life. Come back to let God use your life. I wanna speak to those in your 40s. I know what it's like to have teenagers and spend half your life in a car shuffling people around. And there's that mindset, I'm busy, I've got a lot going on, but you make space for what's important. And your engagement in the local church is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your kids. It's one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your home. When a dad or a mom is serving and rolling up the sleeves and getting engaged, it, it impacts your children, and now is a call. I wanna to speak to those of you who are teenagers, and you're like, man, I've got so much, I'm, I really don't have as much to offer, my life's busy, I don't have the experience, and what I would say to you, I want you to lock eyes with me right now, God did not give you, teenager, a JV version of the Holy Spirit. He placed inside of you the same Spirit of God that has built His church is inside of you, and He's calling you, God is doing something fresh in Gen Z in this church. And there's a wave that is building. There's a hunger for God. There's a passion. And we're, we're calling you, student, to use your life to make a difference. I cannot think of a greater cause on planet Earth to give my life to than the local church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The invitation is to bring your life into what God is doing and experience the joy and the fulfillment and the purpose that comes with pouring out your gifts as an act of service and worship before the living God. When you stand before his throne, don't you wanna hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I don't wanna hear from God, oh, I had so much more I wanted to do through you and in your life. I want, I want him to have my yes. And so many of us, listen, so many of us are so miserable. You ever meet miserable people and they're on this journey and they're miserable Christians. And sometimes I think that misery is coming from the wrong mindset. I took my kids one night, I, I took them out to get them food and I said, where do you guys wanna go to eat? Dumb, dumb. 
because they all had a different agenda. And in my effort to make them happy, by the time we got to the restaurant that I chose, by the way, all of us were miserable. And I believe that that's the case with so many of us that, that if, we, if we would switch our mindset, we could step out of misery when it's all about me and what I want and making me happy, I end up being miserable. But there's freedom and joy in a life of service. So I got one thing I wanna invite you to stand. I got one thing I wanna ask you to do as you're standing, the one thing I got for you. I wanna ask you to come to the volunteer rally this week, Thursday night at the Lake Forest campus for one and a half hours. Now, I'll say this, Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the dead for you. You can give him 90 minutes. I know that's a little holy manipulation right there, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm doing it because I want God's best for your life. And there at the volunteer rally, you'll hear about ways you can serve, and God, God's gonna do something new and fresh as we take that step. Get back in the game, get in the game. Take that step this week, you can RSVP. In just a moment, some buckets are gonna go by. We're gonna worship with our offering, we're gonna worship with our song. Afterwards, Katie's gonna come up and dismiss us. But I want that prayer that we sang earlier today. Put me where you want me, anywhere you want me, God. I surrender all. Let that be our prayer today, God, that my life is yours. So one more time, will you lift this song as the ushers come, as we give. Father, we surrender our lives to you. Take our hands, our life. Use us for your glory. Put us where you want us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.